Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Let's continue. Returning to Princess Mikomikona of Guinea, or Ethiopia, according to Sancho. Don Quixote's squire guides Dorotea and the barber, disguised as her squire, to where he had left his master. What follows is an hilarious performance by Dorotea, in which she implores Don Quixote to come and exact her vengeance against a traitor who has usurped her kingdom. Considering the overseas extent of Spanish conquests at this time, there's irony here. Mikomikona is asking Don Quixote to confront the expansionist tendencies of his own empire. In the middle of all this, there suddenly returns the perennial problem of Sancho's ass. It's easy to convince Don Quixote to leave the Sierra and undertake the journey. Everyone mounts up, and the only one left walking is Sancho whereupon his mind turned again to the loss of the gray. What's strange here is that after some hesitation, he's quite happy to walk. Sancho the slaver is perhaps the ugliest and most ominous portrait Cervantes gives us of our squire. The only thing he regretted was the thought that the kingdom was in a land of blacks and the people who were to be given to him as vassals would all be blacks for which he then came up with an excellent remedy in his imagination, saying to himself, What difference does it make to me if my vassals be black? Need I do anything more than load them up and ship them off to Spain, where I can sell them and where they'll pay me cold, hard cash? For as black as they may be, I'll turn them back into white and yellow." Here the narrator underscores Sancho's satisfaction by referring again to his missing ass. With that, he strutted about so eager and satisfied that he forgot his regret at having to walk on foot. Mother of God, as if Sancho's lost donkey were not problematic enough, now we have his moral downfall. And there's more. A true literary feat is lodged in the complex way in which the squire simultaneously alludes to the black color of the slaves and the white and yellow colors of the silver and gold coins that he will earn by selling them in Spain. Moreover, Cervantes indicates that he understood Gresham's law. Bad money, in this case copper coins, which were black, replaces good money, in this case silver and gold coins, which were white and yellow. This fantastic merger into one phrase of two of the most hotly debated moral and economic issues of the time, slavery and monetary debasement, is yet another indication that Cervantes was conscious of the natural laws and human rights at the heart of the neo-Aristotelian philosophy popularized by the University of Salamanca. 
what follows emphasizes the theme of metamorphosis. It's also something like an episode of physical comedy from a film by Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton. For starters, there are problems with the outward appearances of Cardenio and the barber. The licentiate has to shave Cardenio's beard and change his clothes so that Don Quixote won't recognize him. In fact, Cardenio seemed so different from what he once was that he would not have recognized himself even if he had looked into a mirror. Next, there is more confusion regarding mounts because Don Quixote doesn't want the licentiate to walk. The priest says he's content to go on the haunches of a mule of one of the other travelers. And even then, I will imagine that I ride like a knight on the horse Pegasus or on the zebra or great charger of that famous moor, Mutharaque. The reference made to the great hill of Thulema, which is near the great Compluto, is another personal allusion by Cervantes, as if he were pointing out that he is innovating the picaresque novel in a way peculiar to his hometown of Alcalá. Confusion continues when the princess Micomicona's squire, that is the barber and not Sancho, offers the priest the saddle of his mule. When the barber then tries to mount himself onto the same mule's haunches, because it is a rental, it gives him two kicks, causing Nicolás to fall to the ground and lose his beard made from the oxtail of the innkeeper's wife. The priest then has to fake a miracle, saying an incantation, and presently the squire was as well-bearded and as healthy as before. Like the good travelers they pretend to be, they now summarize the journey that lies ahead. They will pass through the priest's village, then follow the route to Cartagena in the province of Alicante, and finally embark for the Black Sea. What a mess. I thought Mikomikon was in Guinea or Ethiopia, not the heart of the Ottoman Empire. Cervantes alludes again to Spanish colonialism when the priest has to explain his presence by inventing a story that he is on his way to Seville to collect some money that a relative has sent him from the West Indies, more than 60,000 assayed pesos, quite a fortune. The chapter ends with interesting references to the two wild men of the Sierra Morena, Cardenio and Don Quixote. According to the priest, Cardenio has been fully transformed. He is like new after having been assaulted by robbers who stole even his beard. These robbers, he has been told, were galley slaves released by some man who must have neither soul nor conscience for he chose to release a wolf among the sheep. This last reference to Don Quixote as a misguided liberator is suggestive. The knight's shame is palpable and ironic if we recall the racial issue. His color changed at each word, and he didn't dare say that he had been the liberator of those good, wicked people.